Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I am your co-host, Tom Nixon. You know, I'd like to start by asking a question of my host, Jay Harrington, co-host Jay Harrington, and that is, do you ever find yourself online in a position where you're not sure what to say? And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, Jay, because you have been recently, in over time, prolific on, say, LinkedIn. You do a ton of writing for blogs, for um legal publications and platforms you've written books and as an outsider looking in i would say well there's a guy who's never been plagued by writer's block is that accurate or do you find yourself ever getting caught up in not knowing what to say or what to contribute uh let's see i i'd say that certainly there are times where i have you know i struggle to figure out what i want to say or write uh, it, it becomes it becomes less frequent the more you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like a, any other muscle that you exercise. It gets stronger as you do more of it. Um, so, you know, that's, I think that's one of the keys to to overcome the idea of writer's block. Interestingly, you know, there this notion of writer's block, I, I think Seth Godin probably has the best take on it. He's He doesn't believe in the concept of writer's block. Um, he always poses the question back at someone if they if they ask about writer's block and he says, well, do you ever have talker's block? Uh, <laughs> meaning right. we don't we don't know, you know, we don't we always know how to talk. We just talk. And he says the same for writing. He says it's not necessarily that everything you write is going to be good, but you know how to write. Uh, you know how to put your fingers on the keyboard and 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 push the keys and and make words come out. Um, so that, you know, I think that's, that gets to the idea that, you know, what oftentimes what's stopping us is not, you know, uh, and obviously it's not literally our ability to write, but it's, um, it's some other, you know, aspect of, of, uh, there's some other block there, mental block, as opposed to, you know, just writer's block. There's always, there's always things to write about, but the key is just to get started because the minute you, you write, uh, you start writing and that tends to be when you come up with more ideas. Um, an interesting aside on that is my wife, Heather, uh, a couple months back started doing what are called morning pages, which is an exercise that is encouraged and, and introduced in, in a book called, um, the artist way by Julia Cameron. And it's basically the idea that every morning you you just write longhand in a in a notebook three pages, and there's no plan or process around it other than you need to write three pages. It can be about anything. Um, and and what Heather's found, Heather never having really been much of a writer in terms of spending a lot of time writing um, in her professional career, uh, has found that you know, she's oftentimes will spend two pages just writing, you know, just flow of consciousness, no particular. Uh, point to it, but then the last page is where the real insights start coming out. So it just it just points to the fact that when writing, sometimes you just need to get started, and then you know, quote unquote, the magic happens. Yeah, that's interesting, and I would I would suspect that's true of a lot of thing, a lot of people who, if you just break through the barrier, then it becomes easier and easier. Eventually, you'll get to where you need to go. And you proposed a topic for this week's podcast that I thought was interesting because it's it's not necessarily writer's block per se, but let's call it maybe more generally thought leader's block, which is what are the things that are preventing attorneys from endeavoring to be thought leaders or contributing to thought leadership? 
And you touched on something that is, I think, kind of is in front of, say, something like writer's block or tangible impediment to writing or producing content. But in this, these are limiting beliefs. And I think a lot of people suffer from limiting beliefs in life. But I think there's professionals who sort of sell and position, sell expertise for a living and position themselves as experts who want to become thought leaders, there's limiting beliefs that are getting in the way. And that's what we wanted to tackle today. In one that you've written about a lot, and you seem to ascribe it to attorneys, I'm wondering if it's, if it's not unique to attorneys, but if it's common to attorneys. And this is this idea of imposter, I'm sorry, imposter syndrome. So what is imposter syndrome and why is this an impediment to thought leadership? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I write about it. Uh, I've written about it before, this concept of imposter syndrome. And and it's not unique to attorneys, but I do think it afflicts many attorneys, especially young ones, when you, you cause it, because it creeps in when you're feeling stress and overwhelm. And, and that's a large part of the early stages of one's career in the practice of law. I mean, it's always it's always there, but it's particularly acute uh, during that that period of uh, your first few years of practice, for example. So, yeah, let's just put a definition on it. Um, first, and then we'll get into how it relates to thought leadership. But I think generally speaking, uh, an imposter syndrome is, it manifests itself as a voice inside your head. Uh, and it tells you that you're not good enough. Um, you don't belong. You just simply don't, aren't up to the job uh, in some way or another. And, and as a result of that, you, you start to doubt yourself. Um, the, a more uh, I guess define a, a clarified definition of that comes from psychologists uh, Pauline Clance and Su Suzanne Imes, and they've they've studied imposter syndrome quite a bit, and they define it as feelings of phoniness and a belief that you're not capable, intelligent, or creative despite evidence of high achievement. Um, so, they say that people who have these feelings of imposter syndrome essentially live in fear of being found out by their colleagues, you know, in a professional sense um, or exposed as frauds. So, you know, we've all been in that position before where we don't feel like we're up to the task at hand and maybe everyone else around us seems to be clicking on all cylinders, but we just don't belong in that environment. Um, so that, that I think uh, relates to thought leadership um, in, in a few different ways. Um, one is that if you just think about the term thought leadership, it's it can sound a bit pretentious, right? To some, where you know you're many of us don't necessarily think of ourselves as as leaders. Certainly, leaders of thought. You know, those who are shaping the conversation, those who are are driving things forward. We we think maybe that's someone else's job to do, and so you know, just even the the moniker itself uh, sometimes makes people shy away from it, and perhaps they're not producing content and putting it out into the into the world because they just don't see themselves um, based on the just the very definition of the term thought leadership. Um, so, you know, it's it's something that needs to be overcome. Um, and 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 if you want to be, you know, someone who is joining that conversation that's happening, um, you know, within the industries you participate in. Um, and maybe we can just shift and talk a little bit about, you know, so, so what are some of the ways to do that? Um, and I think, you know, Broadly speaking, um, what one needs to do is really cultivate and and think about uh, the distinction between you know, a growth mindset and um, a more limited mindset, where you are a fixed mindset, where you know you you want to be, you want to understand that you are not right now ultimately where you will end up being. 
um, but that you have the capacity to grow and get better and get smarter and more effective at what you do. So some of the fixed mindset is going to be um, sort of setting forth with the understanding that maybe they're they're at the place they're always going to be um, and they're maybe never going to get better, never more informed, never more effective at what they're doing, as opposed to a person with a growth mindset who understands that they may be at a certain sta uh, station in life or their career right now, but they have the capacity to grow and get better. So as, a, as someone who's getting into thought leadership, um, you want to have that growth mindset, cultivate that growth mindset. Um, Every writer, every content creator will look back at what the work they were producing, you know, five, 10 years prior and, and they'll wince at it. They'll, they'll, they'll see all the faults. They'll see, uh, you know, all of the errors that they made and in, in terms of grammar and just the, the, the verbosity of their writing and, and they'll look, but they'll look now and, and see the improvement they made over time. And if you can, if you can see, uh, the future and and sort of fast forward to the point where if you keep at this, if you continue to write, if you continue to to ship your work out into the world, um, it's going to get better and better over time. And as a result, you're going to be perceived as more of a thought leader over time. Um, and also, uh, the the other important realization is that um, we all feel this way. You know, I think one of the things that someone who's suffering from imposter syndrome um, sometimes has a hard time realizing is that everyone feels this way um, if they're if there's someone who's growing right I mean you're never unless you're again just sort of have a fixed mindset and never advance never um, grow into new levels of responsibility in your career then if you're someone who is in fact growing and advancing you're going to be trading up to higher levels levels of responsibility and you're always going to be feeling like a bit of an imposter along the way. So, you know, a, a number of CEOs, uh, I know Howard Schultz at Starbucks has, has uh, written and spoken quite a bit on the imposter syndrome and says that every CEO in the country feels this way, um, even though that, you know, they're leading large, large organizations, but um, they suffer from imposter syndrome, just like, you know, a first year lawyer might be at, at any stage in their career. Um, and you know, if we draw upon, I know, uh, I think it was William Goldman, who was a screenwriter, famously wrote, um, nobody knows anything. And I think that's largely true. We're all uncertain. We all have fear and trepidation. Um, whenever we hit publish on thought leadership, um, I think you should be feeling nervous about it to an extent. Um, you're, you're exposing yourself. You are being vulnerable. Um, you're subjecting yourself to possible criticism. Um, but that's, that's kind of what thought leadership's all about. That's what leadership is all about. And so yeah. if you can overcome those, those fears and those um, trepidations, I think you can uh, understand that you may not be the thought leader you will be in five years, but you have something to say. Yep. I, I remember the first time I experienced imposter syndrome, I was maybe six months into a, a new job in a career that I knew nothing about. And I had to go to a, a meeting with these high level executives and the partner in charge of the account tells me at the last minute, he can't make it. So I have to go there alone. And I'm, you know, two haircuts out of college basically. And I'm sitting in a room and there's all this debate going around. And finally this, you know, gray haired, mustachioed, pot bellied, you know, fat cat in the room looks at me and says, well, I want to hear what Tom has to say. Tom, what do you think about this? And I like panicked. I froze for a half a second. And then I thought, well, I, maybe am I an imposter or do I really know more 
than the people in this room about this particular thing. They're not marketing experts. So I immediately summoned the uh, courage to speak my mind and to command the room. And it was, it was, a lot of it was impostering. It was, you know, I was pretending, you know, fake it till you make it. But and you mentioned that with young attorneys is that they don't feel like the respect or the responsibility that they're giving matches the track record that they, you know, look back on their own career. That was with me, right? I was like, these people don't know that I don't have formal training in this, but so, but they still want to know my, my, uh, my opinion on this. So I guess there's a couple ways to overcome this. And I, I want to first throw out the wrong way to do it, which is to do what I did and wait 35 years before I had the track record to have the confidence to say, okay, I can write with authority on this and people will actually believe what I say. Um, I'm joking somewhat there. You don't want to wait 35 years. So how do you not fake it till you make it, but what are some techniques if you know of any to overcome imposter syndrome so you can put that behind you and get on with the business of writing content. Forget for a minute whether or not you want to call it thought leadership because if that moniker is giving you pause, put that to one side. Let's just talk about developing content. Do you have techniques to overcome imposter syndrome that you think work? Yeah, there's a few ways. Um, one would be, you know, instead, well, first, make make it easy. Start small uh, and and lower the stakes. And a, a, there's a few ways to do that. One would be, you know, don't set out to write, you know, something that's going to be published in some prestigious journal that's going to be, uh, you know, subject to subjected to gatekeepers and editors and and thorough review. Start just writing status updates on LinkedIn, for example, and and don't necessarily even try to write about you know legal subject matter. Uh, just write about, you know, how your career is going, uh, you know, what, what life is like as a, as a lawyer, no matter what stage you are, at, are in, in your career. Um, so again, lower the stakes. Uh, a second way to do that perhaps is to, is to not go alone. Uh, try to collaborate on something with someone who's more senior than you in your, in your, um, in your law firm. That way, you know, you've got the safety net of someone else's expertise. Um, you you work on the first draft, they review and edit and give you advice and tips. And you know, you've got the you've got the um, co-byline there with someone who has some stature already in the industry. Um, I, I think those are probably two good ways to go about it. You know, again, just this principle of like make it make it easy on yourself and lower the stakes. And, and, you know, collaboration and, and teaming up with someone else is, is, a, is a great way to go about that. And I like what you suggested too, about if it's giving you pause to like be the authority on something because you feel like you're too junior in your career, you could still be the explorer in the room that's exploring ideas and raising questions. Probably a lot of the questions that your either colleagues or even your prospective clients are grappling with as well. So you could be a thought leader early on by just knowing the right questions to ask or the right topics to pose. So, um, you, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that you could do, even, you know, if you were me, you know, however many years ago it was sitting in that room is to maybe not say with confidence, I have the answer, but here's what we should consider. Here's what I think we need to consider. And that opens the, the room and the door or just the marketplace in general to the idea that you at least know how to explore answers and arrive at conclusions and that you're thoughtful about it, even if you can't particularly early on have the confidence to say, here's what you should do, high level executive. So I love that idea. Yeah. And, and just to add on that, Tom, real quick, because I, I think that's a great point. Um, and, and that whole idea of, of being someone who's an explorer, um, I think that really comes down to, you know, 
just work on your ability to ask really good questions. That, you know, you don't need to have all the answers. Um, sometimes though, the, the good questions are just as valuable as, as, as a, the answer to a question. So I would say, you know, work on that ability to ask questions and, and you can add a lot of value that way. Absolutely. What else? What are some other, are we ready to move on? I'm, I'm curious what yeah. other limiting beliefs um, you find that get in the way of, of attorneys becoming thought leaders. Yeah, I think one of the big one is is this issue of perfectionism. So I think when it comes to thought leadership, many lawyers believe they need to be in the business of being perfect, right? Um, and that you know that is a big impediment to actually uh, creating and 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 publishing content. Um, but and and the thing is though, the pursuit of perfectionism is what will stop you from ever shipping your work. Uh, you'll never put ideas out there if if your standard for what gets published is that it needs to be perfect, however you perceive that. But it's usually too high of a bar for most people. Um, it'll it'll stop you from from sharing it in in the first place, or or you'll simply endlessly work on content and. And you'll, you know, you'll you'll twist yourself up in knots trying to to get anything published. Um, I think that instead of perfectionism, what we need to be thinking about is is aiming for good enough, right? Where good enough is um, is is still a high bar. You're meeting spec, uh, certainly. Uh, it, but it's not it's not the pursuit of perfection because that's an unattainable standard that that you're setting for yourself that's going to stop you from ever becoming a thought leader. Um, and I want to reference back to something else uh, Seth Godin says on these issues. And and for anyone that's interested in exploring these limiting beliefs to a greater extent, I think I think he's a, a great resource for that. Um, go to his blog. He's written on all of these topics before. But there's one thing that he, he wrote that I think um, I just wanted to read because I think it's particularly poignant. But he so he calls uh, he calls perfect the ideal defense mechanism, um, which I think is great. And he writes. Perfect lets us. Uh, perfect lets you stall, ask more questions, do more reviews, dumb it down, safe it up, and generally avoid doing anything that might fail or anything important. You're not in the perfect business. Stop pretending that's what the world wants from you. So you know that I think is a is a good um, summary and explanation of of how we should be thinking about our thought leadership. And and ironically. Many lawyers settle for good enough and and don't uh, don't get bound by the, this idea of perfection all of the time in their legal work product. No lawyer has ever written the perfect legal brief, and and the reason for that is because they're on a deadline. They have a date by which they have to you know produce work product, often defined by statutes or court rules, or certainly by client expectations. So they have no choice but to ship their work. In, in the case of you know filing the brief or filing you know the regulatory uh, documents, and and that you know that is good enough. I mean the alternative to that would be um, and and if you think about it, sure you might be able to tinker at the edges and make something better, but uh, if you work endlessly on it, you'll never complete it. And we settle again. We settle for good enough all of the time in our work. We should be willing to settle for good enough in our thought leadership as well, um, so that we can get on to the next idea and start to really catalyze conversations and not cut, get caught up in our own minds, and and limit our ability to um, share those ideas because we're uh, in pursuit of something unattainable. Yeah, I think there's a certain 
humanism or humanity intrinsic and imperfection. So it feels more natural. It feels more accessible. Like Seth was suggesting, the world's not expecting you to be perfect. In fact, the perfect might be uh, a turnoff to some people. I think it was Roy Sexton when we had him on a guest as a guest early on in the podcast stressed this, and I think does stress this to his own attorneys at his firm uh, writing thought leadership content is be human and be relatable. You don't have to be perfect perfect. And I think the temptation to be perfect takes all of your personality out of something that uh, a vehicle in which you want to have your personality shine. So taking the two Seth Godin uh, thoughts that you offered and maybe combining them, going back to the idea of talker's block, when we advise clients on, say, producing podcasts, we recommend against heavily scripting it. Um, We're certainly uh, proponents of show prep and having notes and all of that. But I think the more effective podcasts are the ones that are conversational and they're authentic. And if you make a mistake, you don't have to go back and fix it. We're, people want to tune into a thoughtful conversation. They don't want to turn into an oratory. So, um, and I think our clients that embrace that, they have a better finished product at the end. And what I might suggest is if, if this sounds like you, the pursuit of perfection is getting in the way of you producing thought leadership written content, consider a podcast and team up with a partner, another associate at your firm, a client perhaps, and create a podcast that's conversational. You can explore all the same issues. You can still be a thought leader. You can still speak with authority, but you don't need to then spend so much time perfecting each and every word. And punctu- there's no punctuation in talking, right? There might be pauses, but there's no actual grammar. No one's grading you. I've screwed up how many times on this podcast already today? Stop and start. But it's natural. It's authentic. And I think it's relatable. And that's what people want. Yeah, for sure. I, I like that a lot. Um, and, and yeah, you're right, Tom. I mean, this, this podcast, this very episode is far from perfect. Uh, right. Hopefully it still adds value. And, and I think at the end of the day, it'll be worth putting out into the world. Um, and that's really what uh, you, you need to be thinking about as a thought leader. And then, yeah, we move on. You know, we're going to be recording another episode um, in a couple of days and, and that'll be its own adventure. Uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a progression. And, and, you know, and I guess in our own experience, um, I, I hope that we've gotten better at this over time and, and, you know, episode, whatever this will be 58, I think will be, will be better than episode five. Um, and episode hundred will be better than this one, but you know, that's, that's kind of the arc of the journey we're on. And I think that's the arc of the journey every thought leader's on. So you, you, again, this idea that you'll look back and you'll, you may, uh, you may not particularly like what you did uh, a couple years back, but you can, you can uh, be confident and satisfied in the fact that, that that work you put in early on is what allowed you to get to a better place now. Yeah. And just think too, you'll have a way bigger audience by the time you get good at it. Um, that's when the stakes are higher. So when you're first starting out, you might have a few readers and a few listeners, but by the time you're really ascending to the you know, authoritative position of thought leader, you're going to have thousands of readers and thousands of listeners. By that time, if you start now without, you know, letting the perfect become the enemy of the good, you'll be closer to perfect by the time people are actually tuning in to listen. So how about a closely related limiting belief, Jay, uh, to this idea of perfectionism is the belief that you have to have completely original ideas. Do you see that happen come up a lot? Yeah. And this, this gets back to the, the you know, this, this relates to all of the things we talked about today, particularly writer's block. I mean, I think one of the, one of the things that causes writer's block to the extent it's a thing is that we, we feel like we need to say something original. Like what, if we're not saying anything original, do we have anything we're saying at all? Um, but, you know, originality is really just um, to some extent, it's a myth because, 
you know, as, as many people have talked about, there, there are really no new ideas. And I, I do buy into that, that idea that, that we're not, you know, rarely are we coming up with anything truly original, rarely, if ever, um, it's, it's perhaps not even possible. There's been, I mean, how many blog posts are written every year, podcast episodes are put out, books are written. I mean, there are, there is a massive amount of, of content that is being produced out there and, and very little of it, if any is, is original. Um, but so that's, that's not what you need to do. Um, even, even the best thought leaders, they're rehashing a lot of the same ideas and principles that, you know, the Greek and the Greek philosophers were talking about 3000 years ago. And so what we need to think about what, what is original is, is our own lived experiences and our and the lens through which we see the world, and that's what we can bring to the table as thought leaders. Um, that's what we can can kind of filter our ideas through and bring our perspectives to the table, which which are truly unique and original, and and that's what people want to hear, um, and that's what people want to read. And so, I think that you know, don't let don't don't twist yourself um, up trying to come up with something truly original. Um, just think about, you know, how issues that are relevant to your audience um, are relatable and and explainable through your own lived experience and as a both a, a as a person and a professional. So I think that's that's really, you know, another stumbling block or limiting belief that that we need to cast aside um, for for the reasons that I stated. So what do you think about that, Tom? Yeah, I think imposter syndrome begets this this other limiting belief, because I've heard a lot of people tell me early on that, you, you know, or, or, or pose to me, why would anyone really care what I have to say? Like, I, I'm a dime a dozen out there. Everyone has a guy like me that can say such and such. And for one, I it just, it's the, it's the imposter syndrome creeping in for one. Two is that I think you, I think we underestimate that which is basic to us is actually complex to our market. And by that, I mean, I can have a conversation with somebody who doesn't do what I do every day for, in, for example, talking about, let's say LinkedIn. And I can explain, I think in layman's term, how the LinkedIn algorithm works and why it's important to know that so that you can sort of game the system to a certain degree to get wider exposure for your LinkedIn content. I can say to somebody who doesn't study this each and every day, like somebody in the legal industry or the insurance industry or an accountant, that might blow their minds. They've never heard of that. And they're hearing it for the first time from me. And whether now I'm not the only person with that now, there's millions of people out there like that. But if I'm the one that's delivering the value, yeah, it might be basic to me, but it's complex or it's advanced to, to the audience I'm talking to. So I think you need to, as a, as a naysayer to your own thought leader, you know, persona is that you have the knowledge, you do have the expertise, the market that you're probably trying to influence does not, they're looking for it, which is why people out there are doing the searches that they're doing because we can't find the answers. So if you're delivering those answers, you are a thought leader. Again, whether you're not, you want to call yourself a thought leader or not, just know that a lot of your ideas, while they might not seem original to you, sure as heck sound original to the person who needs the answer they're looking for. Yeah, and and I think that I think that's there's a there's a term for that. I believe it's it's called the curse of knowledge, where yes. we we assume that everyone knows what we know when in fact they don't. And like you said, Tom, it sometimes is is totally um, uh, kind of blows them away when you bring ideas to the table that that you think are fairly elementary. So that's an important that's an important concept. And that you know that that 
relates to another issue, which is, you know, it's not just not only um, not only in terms of not being afraid to share ideas that that you're assuming everyone else knows, but but also baking your your content, your thought leadership content um, accessible to people and available to people through, you know, the the way you write. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to, you know, you may want, you may not want to call it dumbing it down, but you do have to write you know, simply and and straightforwardly, so that you're not using jargon and and terms that, you know, like you might in an academic journal, which are almost, um, I, I can't even, I can't even read most academic uh, journals. It's <laughs> written in another language, for for you know another type of person, um, but so make. Don't worry about you know dressing up and trying to seem sophisticated, dressing up your language and trying to seem sophisticated through your writing. Um, try to try to write very simply. I mean, if you look at if you look at some of the the greatest writers of our time or and 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 of all time, like Ernest Hemingway. I think I think I saw an analysis that looked at the Old Man and the Sea uh, and and judged that it was written at a fourth grade reading level. Um, and Malcolm ex- Gladwell. I, that explains why I liked it so much, Jay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and Malcolm Gladwell often talks about how he aspires to write at an eighth grade reading level. Um, yep. And and there's a reason for that. Uh, we don't, you know, complexity distracts from the point you're trying to make and, and you know, gets back to the, you know, again, that Mark Twain quote, quote you know, where he apologizes for, um, writing a long letter if he had more time he would have written a shorter one and that i think that rings true um and and you know also i think it can be helpful to people um because they think they need to write you know in a real sophisticated manner write really long content or otherwise it's not worth it um you can keep it short and simple and and that can be um that can oftentimes be even more effective yeah again i think it goes back to imposter syndrome because i think we get caught up with the idea that i have to either outwit or impress my competitors with my content and that's not the goal the goal is to appeal to the audience the audience is at a fifth or eighth grade level relative to your expertise so you need to your cater your content accordingly and then the last kind of sub idea of this so that everything has to be original is this um notion that well, I already covered that in an earlier article. I can't go back and revisit old topics because we already did an episode on that or we already wrote an article on that. And the reality is compared to how many people you want to see your content, the reality is that, you know, something less than 10% of the people who you need to see your content will see it. So you need to get more base hits. You need more at bats to get that average up to actually, you know, score runs. Right. So um, I have no problem revisiting a topic. I always, you know, take a new angle and, and package the content slightly differently. But um, the same things, the same truisms, you know, from six months ago still exist today. And there's still people out there looking for those same answers. So why not read? They're not going to go through my entire archive and say, well, what is, what else has Tom written? So you need to kind of bring it back and bubble these issues back up to the top so people see them. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm always banging. <laughs> several of the same drums over and over. And I think it just gets back to that notion of, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to make a convincing argument, you've got to, you've got to repeat those points over and over. And, and it takes time for people to, well, Hey, your audience is different every time you write or, or for most people, they're seeing it for the first time. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and for others, they need to hear it several times before maybe it'll, it'll sink in. So has anyone ever asked you why you keep writing the same things over and over? No one's ever (laughs) said that to me. Never been said. 
and I've never caught anyone else doing it. So you say you do, it doesn't, you know, I read probably everything you write. I don't know that it comes across to me as you're repeating or, you know, rehoeing old ground. So yeah, if I'm paying that close of attention and I'm not seeing it, chances are anyone listening to this, their audience is also not paying close enough attention to see, you know, reruns in your content. Yeah. And I mean, when I, when I say that it's, it's more, you know, it's sort of like laying the foundation. I feel like you've got to go over some of the same ground, like, okay, writing something about the value of thought leadership. And so you've got to make the argument as to why is thought leadership valuable before kind of, you know, diverging into some more discrete topic related to thought leadership. But, you know, you got to set it up just like you would a good legal argument. Um, and I think that the same principle applies to your, your thought leadership writing. And repetition um, breeds reputation. Isn't that how that goes? It's a good one. Yeah, we've had a lot of good, uh, <laughs> a lot of good one-liners here today. <laughs> I've got Speaking my cliche book. <laughs> Speaking of no original ideas. We're, uh... <laughs> See, it works. Yep, yep. Um, well, I think, you know, bringing home, I mean, this, I, as I was thinking about this topic, I, I was thinking about this, this, um, I think people, most people have probably heard of this idea of uh, immersion therapy, you know, which is, I think, a, a, a technique that, that is used to help people overcome certain fears and phobias in, in life. And I think the way that immersion therapy works, which is you sort of slowly introduced to the thing that you have fear of, I think that same principle and can apply when it comes to coming over, overcoming some of these limiting beliefs. So, you know, don't, don't dive in. Maybe if you're, you know, if you're, if you're hesitant to write a blog post, like don't set out to write a book, you know, in the next six months, write yeah. some LinkedIn status updates, team up with someone else to write content, you know, start small, uh, build, build up your courage, get over these beliefs and, and you'll be on your way. Absolutely. And just lower the bar. Don't, don't put added stress on yourself to expect more than others expect of you. Um, and I think you're going to live up to and probably exceed most people's expectations when you just get started. So that's been my experience, been our client's experience. And I think that's, you know, anyone looking to overcome these limiting beliefs is just, I love that idea. Emergent therapy. So, yeah. All right. Great. Shall we, uh, wrap it up? Yep. Go ahead, Jay. All right. Well, uh, as always, thank you everyone for listening and we'll be back with another episode next week. I think we're going to have a guest in our next episode. Um, so that should be interesting. It'll be a, he's a, he's actually a, a, a recruiter for attorneys uh, and headhunter. And he is going to be talking about things along the lines of, you know, what, what makes a, an attorney attractive to a, a new uh, employer, including, you know, are they a thought leader and, and have they, establish themselves as someone who has authority in, in their space. So look for, look for that episode. And until then, um, thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.